Gracious Father, uh, we are truly blessed to have a firm foundation uh, upon which we can stand uh, in your strength. Uh, to be able to live in this world today, uh, to not be overcome by grief or uh, stress or um, guilt or fear, uh, Lord, that your Holy Spirit, uh, as it, he uh, speaks to our spirit to let us know that we are children of God, to uh, continue to build in us that uh, faith that is so precious to help us to see your truth uh, and to apply it today. And Lord, we ask that uh, the Spirit would do that today, that he would guide us in all truth. Uh, and Lord, we'll give you the honor, the praise, and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, you can open up to Ephesians chapter 1. And as I say that, uh, that'll probably be the last time I'll say that. Because uh, the next time, oh, you don't have to be so joyous there. <laughs> I'm not stopping Ephesians, but we'll be next time after we get through uh, our, our time of celebration of our Savior's uh, resurrection uh, through Easter, uh, we'll begin chapter 2. Uh, so I'll be telling you to open up to Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, but we have much to uh, consider today as we take a look at those last two verses of Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, and so uh, let's begin by going ahead and reading those two verses, and then we'll review just a few things uh, to give the context to those as we unpack both of these last two evidences that we have in relation to God's immeasurable greatness of his power. It says there in verse 22, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and in all. So as you know, we've been taking a look at, uh, and we are at part eight, of a prayer to more deeply know. Uh, not just to have facts up in our head, but to, to take those truths which are eternal and make them part of who we are down here in our hearts, in our souls, in our entire being. Uh, for us to understand uh, just who we are in Christ after laying the foundation of God's sovereign plan of salvation, uh, Paul uh, has been you know, challenging us to pray to more deeply uh, know, uh, as it says there in verse uh, 18, the hope uh, to which we um, have been called, uh, the riches of his glorious grace and inheritance in the saints. And then verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? To every son, every daughter, everyone who has been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, according to the working of his great might. And so far, we've seen this evidence in three different ways. As you look at the screen and are reminded, uh, we looked at uh, here a few weeks ago, uh, Christ being raised from the dead. Uh, God's almighty power that's immeasurable, that's unfathomable, that is able to accomplish much more than we could ever think or ask of God, uh, raised Jesus Christ, God's Son, from the dead. Uh, and second, uh, is its evidence in Christ being seated at the right hand of the throne of God, because he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, to take and have a sinner's death, even though he is the sinless Son of God. Uh, and as a result of his obedience, as a result of doing everything that the Godhead decided before the foundation of the world, 
uh, he is given that place of honor to be at the right hand of the throne of God. And then third, in everything being made subject to him. Uh, because he is the Son of God, because Jesus is God, uh, and everything exists because of Jesus, uh, because he is the one who has eternally existed. He was there when, uh, in the beginning, God uh, created the heavens and the earth. Uh, and so everything that has been made uh, is subject to Christ. He is superior. He is above all. He is supreme in all of his ways. Uh, And so those three things so far have helped us to better understand that immeasurable greatness of God's power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might. Uh, And today we're going to look at the last two evidences as we close out chapter 1. And so as we consider uh, verse 22, uh, the fourth evidence is that of Christ being head over the church. This is important. Um, particularly as we think about Christendom, as we think about those who claim to be Christians, uh, is that man will oftentimes seek to circumvent, seek to over uh, or insert himself in places that he does not belong. Uh, And this is one of those places uh, because there are are men uh, that have sought to be the uh, Buck stops here, end all person who says, this is how it's going to be done uh, because this is my church. Uh, and to their uh, discredit, uh, they are forgetting this one truth that speaks to the church itself. Christ is the head. Ellington Baptist Church is not Pastor Bill's church. Ellington Baptist Church is not the deacon board of Ellington Baptist Church's church. We are part of that church. We have different roles within that church. But Jesus Christ, God's son, who is the only one worthy, is head of Ellington Baptist Church. The moment that that ceases to be, then we cease to honor God as the one who is the the father, who is the the one who put into motion that, that which would make it possible for the church to even exist. Because the church is part of, is the fullness of those who have been redeemed. And so therefore, it is only fitting that there should be one head. And that head is the one who is perfect in all of his ways. That is Jesus Christ, God's son. It says there in verse 22, and he put all things, not just some, not just the ones that man gives up. He has put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. So there's not one aspect within the church, whether you look at it locally as Ellington Baptist Church, if you look at it you know, uh, you know, universally as those who have put their faith and trust in Christ that are all over this globe today, some that are worshiping simultaneously with us, some that are going to gather yet uh, after we're home enjoying a Sunday afternoon meal. Uh, All those are underneath of Christ. Every church will have to give an account to the one who is the head of the church, and that is Jesus Christ. And see, in putting all things under Jesus' feet, what Jesus was able to do, something that we could not do, matter of fact, the only thing that man is capable of doing is that which is contrary to God's law, that which is in disobedience to God's law, Uh, as to restore what was lost through Adam. 
Um, As you you think about Romans chapter 5, it tells us in verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that man is Adam, and death through sin, so there is a penalty, there is a wage for our sin, and that is death. And so death spread to all men, or all men, because all sinned. See, what Adam did in disobedience to God all the way back in the very beginning made it so that every one of us, without exception, are sinners by nature, but also sinners by choice. Because you'll notice it says, so death spread to all men because Adam was our representative. And through that one man, sin came into the world and death through sin, but all because all sinned. So we are all responsible. None of us can just say it's Adam's fault. None of us can just look at Adam and say, well, if Adam had chosen differently, that things would be different. See, the thing is, is that we are sinners not only because we have a sin nature, but we also choose to sin. And the thing is, is, you know, as you look back even over this past week, I would be very surprised if there's anyone here that didn't need to confess one sin, even as those who have been redeemed, those who have been regenerated, those who have been reborn. Because the thing is, is we still have a sin nature. We're just not a slave to it. It's not who we are. We are redeemed, but we still need to confess our sin to keep that relationship with God viable, open, fresh, so that we can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So that when we come together as believers under this roof, Because there's nothing magical about this building. It is called Ellington Baptist Church, but we are the church because we are those who are redeemed. Verse 17 of that same chapter says, If because of one man's trespass, again speaking of Adam, death reigned through that one man. So death has reigned from the very beginning. Much more, and I love that, it's not just an an opposite in Christ, it's much more will those who receive the abundance of grace. So not just grace by itself, God's riches at Christ's expense, but we're talking about an abundance of grace. We're talking about much more, which is exactly how God is. And the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ accomplished what you could never do in and of yourself. So that life now reigns in you if you've put your faith and trust in Christ. You are no longer dead. You are no no longer under that one man who brought death through sin. You are no longer that person who, through your sin, and because of the wages of that sin, also deserve death. See, that's what's so beautiful about the cross. That's what's so beautiful about the resurrection is that Jesus took your place. He paid your wage for your sin when he died on that tree. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through not your good works, not your good intentions, not in coming to church, but through the one man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Lamb that was slain, who is alive forevermore.
seated at the right hand of the throne of God, making intercession for each and every one of us. And if you look back in Ephesians chapter 1, go back up to verse 10, because we see this exhibited. You'll see as we walk through Ephesians, all of the intertwining that happens. It says in verse 10, as a plan, talking about God's sovereign plan of salvation, as a plan for the fullness of time to what? Unite all things in him. See, Jesus brought everything together. He paid the price for sin, therefore bringing us back into fellowship with God. That sin is no longer an obstacle because we have received a righteousness not our own. To unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on the earth. See, that's what Jesus can do and only Jesus can do. That's why his name is a name above every name as we've looked at. That's why he is head over the church because he paid by the shedding of his precious blood, the price for that church. So no one deserves the right, no one has the authority to say that I am head over the church. Christ is head over the church. So what are some of the characteristics of this body of Christ as we think about Christ being head over the church? Here it goes. Well, the word church in Greek is the word ekklesia. You've probably heard that used. Well, it means assembly. So we are the church when we assemble together as believers, as those who are the church. You know, the Spirit is with you everywhere, and you can worship God everywhere, but the church only exists biblically as we are assembled together. So when we're separated, we are part of the church, but... As those who are the ones that are assembled, that's when the church comes together as that one body. Because otherwise, you know, when we think about the the imagery that's given to us as the church being a, a body, with each having its own particular part, that not all of us are ears, not all of us are eyes, not all of us are hands or feet. We all have a different role within that church. When we we separate from this gathering, when we are no longer assembled as this local body of Ellington Baptist Church, we don't cease having that gift that is given by God for the benefit of the body, which we'll talk about in a few moments. But the thing is, is that when we separate, we are no longer the the church incorporated. We're no longer that, that body of called out ones that are assembled together. And see, that's something that God gave us as something that was important. Why Christ needs to be the head of it is that when we gather together, you cannot duplicate that anywhere. You can't duplicate that in your private prayer time. You can't duplicate that in private worship. There's something unique, something that is special that happens when we gather together, assembled in this place as believers in Jesus Christ. And some of the characteristics of that body is that we all share, as believers, Christ as our Savior and our Lord. So there may be people that come into Ellington Baptist Church that are not or have not put their faith and trust in Christ, and therefore Jesus is not their Savior and not their Lord. So they may come into this building, but that does not make them a believer in Jesus Christ. It doesn't make it so that Jesus Christ shed blood paid for their sins. See, until we put our faith and trust in Christ as our Savior, the one who saves us out of that 
penalty for our sin, which is physical and spiritual death. And as we get to chapter 2, verse 1, we'll remember that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, which we have spoken of some even as we looked at the first part of chapter 1. But another characteristic is having been joined together by means of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. See, something that Jesus, as the head over the church, something that he does is, is that as believers in Christ, you know, he is our representative. He is the one who took our sins to the cross. But we are joined together by that. It's a commonality that we have as those who claim to be believers in Jesus Christ. Is that we are there in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection. And how are we there? He took our sin to the cross. He paid the penalty. He knew you by name. And that's what's so precious about this body. Third, is that we are receiving the gift of faith, righteousness, and the indwelling Holy Spirit. So something that happens is those who have exercised their faith in Christ is that there is a righteousness that becomes their own that is not their own. A righteousness that can only come through Jesus Christ. That's why he is the Savior. That is why he is the Redeemer. That is why he is head over the church. And what God did in order to secure all of that, to make sure that there was no way in which man could mess up salvation, is he took salvation out of man's hands. See, salvation belongs to God. Only God can save. Because remember, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We needed to be saved out of that. If we could save ourselves, then Jesus did not need to die. If there was something we could do that would earn our salvation, then Jesus did not need to die. The reason Jesus died is because we were hopeless. We were dead. And we needed someone to re birth us so that we be be reborn so there's not something where we're just on life support we're not in a coma we are spiritually dead we need something that only god can give us and what god did is he secured all of that through the indwelling holy spirit not only to help us know that we are children of god but to help us when we find ourselves at that point of temptation that the spirit would guide us in all truth that the Spirit would be the seal until the day of redemption. In other words, safeguarding what Jesus paid with his precious blood so that the scriptures are true when he says, all that the Father has given to me, I lose none. Not one. Because you've been bought and paid for. You belong to God. Fourth, possessing God-given spiritual gifts for the common good. See, the interesting thing about the church when we gather together as Ellington Baptist Church is that God has given you a spiritual gift that is not for you. You know, it'd be nice if God had given us a spiritual gift that was just for us that we could just, you know, kind of keep in and take in and, you know, uh, use and, and just encourage ourselves all the time. But see, the thing is, that's not how God did it. He did it so that that body of believers are intertwined. You know, and the thing is, is God is the one who takes, you know, members of that body out of Ellington Baptist Church, but also brings in new members to that body so that we are a balanced body, 
so that we have every part that we need for the glory of God. And these gifts are for the common good. So your gift is not for yourself, it's for everyone else. So when we assemble, when we come together as believers in Jesus Christ, we have something for each other. And when we you know, exercise that gift for the benefit of each other, that's when God is glorified. And it's something that can only happen when we gather together. And last, sharing in a common bond and inheritance. Here. That transcends ethnicity, status, or gender. Now, I know those words have been thrown around a lot in our culture of late. But there's something scriptural that has been uh, in existence even before man was created that this bond, that this salvation that can only come through Jesus Christ was going to transcend our ethnicity, in other words, our skin color, but also our status. So that salvation and the Savior can save the highest person in any office in the, in the world, the most famous person, or even the person that is not even known by anyone other than themselves. Because God knows them. But also gender. Male or female. That's it. Only two. Even if the culture tells you otherwise. But see, that's the beautiful thing about this common bond that we share, this inheritance that we have. It transcends all those things. All the barriers that man will put into place and say that this is racist or this is you know, gender inequality. This is etc. Jesus erases all of that. Because you know what? We're all on that same level playing field. We're dead in our trespasses and sins in need of a Savior. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter if you're the king or you're a simple peasant. Or whether your skin is, you know, red, yellow, black, or white. Remember, they're all precious in his sight. Jesus is the head of the church. And we see this also in the book of Ephesians as we continue on. In, uh, if you flip forward to chapter 5, verse 23, because he is her savior. And is it speaking, and we'll get to this passage um, sometime in the future, probably not so near future, but we will get there. Uh, in speaking to uh, the, the roles between husbands and wives, it says in verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. See, there's no extra Savior. There's no other thing that can save. Only Jesus can save. He is the church's Savior. He is also the one who holds all things together. We find this out from Colossians chapter 1. Starting in verse 17, it says, And he is before all things, speaking of Christ. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. See, there's no one over God. God answers to no one. And so when it comes to his church that was bought through Jesus Christ shed blood, there's no one that God has to answer to in relation to that. There is no man on this earth that wields power over Jesus Christ. 
He is abundantly above all of that. And the church will answer to Christ because he is the head. And the church is to follow Jesus first and foremost, not to follow men, not to follow good orators, not to follow those with a charismatic, you know, personality. We're following our Savior. He's the great shepherd. And as we look at the scriptures, it also speaks to leaders of the church must, in humility, imitate Jesus to the church. In 1 Corinthians 11, 1, it says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. This is Paul speaking to the church at Corinth. And if you just take out the words, of me as I am, it says, be imitators of Christ. Because that's what Paul is trying to communicate. Is that you're not to imitate or emulate Pastor Bill. Heaven help you if you do. I don't want you emulating me. I don't want you being me. I want you to be everything that God desires and calls you to be as a son or daughter of his. Be imitators of Christ. And Paul, as you look at the rest of the things that he penned, you would see that, you know, you know I must uh, decrease and he must increase. You know, it's all about the focus of it being on Christ because Christ is the head of the church. First Peter chapter 5 also um, in verses 1 through 3 when it speaks to uh, the leaders of the church. Um, it says there, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed Verse 2 says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. See, that's my call, is to be an example for you, for you to follow Jesus Christ, because that's who is our Savior, That is who is the head of the church. Another aspect as we think about Christ being head over the church, as we think about not only the leadership, but also the part that each and every believer plays, is that each believer that is part of this body of Christ must be connected to one another for mutual encouragement and service. And see, this was one of the aspects, like I said, when we assemble together, when we are the ecclesia, the assembly of those who have been called out uh, by God as sons and daughters of his who have been purchased by Christ's blood. It tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Well, what is that hope? That hope is in Jesus Christ. That hope is in him who is the great high priest. That hope is in him who through his blood can bring us into the holy place. See, that's where the hope is. So let us hold fast that confession, what we know to be true, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. See, our salvation is not based in who we are. Our salvation is based in who God is, the one who is faithful all the time. 
Verse 24 says, And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as we see the day dawning near. And you'll notice in your translations that word day is capitalized because that is speaking of the day of the Lord. When Jesus Christ returns, when he comes back to, to claim his church, the church that he is head over. And so it says, as we look forward to that day approaching, that we should seek to assemble all the more. So that means every aspect of Ellington Baptist Church, which you identify as part of that local assembly, as part of that you know, called out flock that, that, that you know, gathers together here, that you should take advantage of every opportunity to get together. Whether that is, you know, Sunday morning for church or Sunday school or a prayer meeting or to be available to use your spiritual gift to minister to the teens that meet on Sunday night. Or to find yourself on Tuesday being an encouragement to the um, uh, homeschool group that gathers here on Tuesday mornings. Or to think about on Wednesday the men's and women's Bible studies. Two women's Bible studies, 1 a.m., 1 p.m. Men's Bible study in the p.m. On Thursday, being an encouragement and helping out in any way you can with the college and career. On Friday, the Olympians and the Gopher Buddies. And on any random Saturday, like you'll find this coming Saturday, a work day to come and be an encouragement to gather together. Because the thing is, is the body, you know, is alive when it is together. When each of us are ministering one to another when we're stirring one another up to love and good works. Which brings us to the next point, which we find in the book of Ephesians, that each believer is to grow up in Christ in order to build the body up in love. See, the thing is, we weren't meant to remain stagnant. We weren't meant to trust Christ as our Savior and say, well, I'm good for all of eternity. I've got my fire insurance, and now I can go live however I want to live. Now, that's not the authority that we have It's not something that God is calling us to. Matter of fact, he's calling us to be his ambassadors. He is calling us to grow up in who? Christ. Not in the the latest trend within, you know, the church universal. Or whatever everyone is, you know, flocking to is the, you know, this is going to be the thing that's going to transform you. The one who does the work is Christ. The one who does the work is the Holy Spirit. The one who does the work is God the Father. It says in, in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 15, it says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. Well, who's the head? It tells us there, Christ. We're to grow up into Christ. Not into the, the leader of, in the church that, or the pastor that you like because you are able to listen to him online all the time and and it may be a great expositor, maybe an engaging speaker, but it's not about him. It's about Christ. From whom, so you were given some more detail here, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it's builds itself up in love. And see, this is not a bad building itself up in love because it is based in the power of 
our Savior and our Redeemer. It's based in the power of the Spirit that resides in every believer. So when we do it God's way, it does build the truth, the church up uh, in love and into Christ. And there's a reason for that. It's for the glory of God, but it's also so that the church is a witness to the manifold wisdom of God. Again, Ephesians chapter 3. Or I should say, again, Ephesians, but chapter 3, verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. So, So there's a goal of the church being alive. There's a goal of this assembly of believers. It's not just about us. Now, there is a camaraderie, there is a sharpening of one another as we uh, uh, you know, have the word of God you know, speak truth into our lives. But the thing is, is that we're not just in a, you know, a group to ourselves. You know, we're not just supposed to hide inside Ellington Baptist Church and let that be it. You know, there's a purpose. It's so that the church is a witness, so that through the church, so through Ellington Baptist Church, let's personalize it, so that through... Ellington Baptist Church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to all of the rulers in Ellington, or in, in Ellington, or in Connecticut, or in this nation, the United States of America, or around the world, because we send missionaries around the world. And that's for the purpose of God's wisdom, which is not even in the same universe as man's wisdom, because man's wisdom is fallen. Man's wisdom is based in a lack of knowledge, knowledge that he thinks he has all of. See, God's wisdom is based in all knowledge, knowing everything there is to know and knowing the very best way to, to utilize it. So see, there's a, a benefit that comes from the church as a whole, gathering together as that assembly Because we have not only the opportunity to build each other up in love, not only to give mutual encouragement and service one to another, but also to to branch out into the the community in which we live, because that is also a mission field for us. Because the world needs God's wisdom. Amen? Amen? Amen. All right, so that's point four. Evidence in Christ being head over the church. The final point is in verse 23. Uh, this final evidence is in Christ being the fullness of the church. You may you know, want to know, well, how's that different from him being head over the church is being the fullness of the church itself. It says in verse 23, which is his body, talking about the church, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Well, let's take a look uh, and, and, and jump forward to chapter 4 of Ephesians because this will give us a little bit more light in relation to what this fullness of Christ who fills all in all is accomplishing or what it is communicating. It says there in verse 4, and notice this, there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. See, this is what Christ accomplishes. He helps us to see that there is one God. See, there's unity within the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that unity is reflected in the church itself. 
to show us that there is only one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father over all. See, there's nothing that bides for that attention because it's only one. And there's only one true church. It's the church that has been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. And no matter what man may try to do to repackage that, to make it palatable to what he would like it to be, is not going to change the truth about the church itself. There's one true church. And that church has a foundation, which is God himself, and has as head over that church, Jesus Christ himself. Because there's one faith, one Lord, one baptism. Well, Matthew chapter 16, I think, is a good passage for us to turn to as we're kind of closing things out here, um, because it actually speaks to the church. Uh, And so Matthew chapter 16, if you'll turn with me, verses 15 through 18. And I'd like to read those verses for you. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So I'd like to take a look at a couple of the phrases there in these few verses. The first is, you'll notice it says there, my church. Now, that's not me, my. That is Jesus Christ, my. The church belongs to Christ because Christ paid for the church. He purchased the church purchased her with his blood. I didn't shed my blood for the church because shedding my blood will do nothing because my blood is sinful. But Jesus Christ shed his blood and so he can say and make the claim solely and only that it is his church. He says, on this rock I will build my church. See, the church belongs to Jesus. It does not belong to any other man, no any other parachurch organization, no other church can say that this is my church because a church belongs to Christ. The second phrase is, is notice it says, I will build my church. Notice who it is speaking again. This is Jesus. So the church is being built by Jesus himself, which is a very good thing. Because if man was building the church, guess what? That's when church splits happens. That's because the color of the carpet wasn't the color that I wanted, you know, because this wasn't done this way, you know, and if I was in charge, I like that one. See, the thing is, is that we get in the way because we are selfish by nature. And unfortunately, you know, well, we we shouldn't be the one building the church. And no amount of programs that Pastor Canaan and myself put forth is going to put one more brick, spiritual brick, on the church of Ellington Baptist Church. Because we're not the ones building it. We're the ones that are being faithful as those that are shepherds 
to be examples and to point you to Christ, the one you're supposed to imitate, not Pastor Caden or myself, because Christ, Jesus himself, is building his church. Third, on this rock. And this has been misused to think that the rock was Peter. The rock is not Peter. Go back in the context and go back up to chapter, or verse 16. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. See, that is the rock upon which the church is going to be built. Because the church is not going to be built on a man created in God's image, yes, but a man that needed to be saved by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, God's son. See, it's on the eternal foundation of Christ, the son of God, the living God, whose church is going to be built upon. It's that foundation. It's not on Peter as a rock, even though his name means stone. The rock is Jesus. He is the sure foundation. How firm a foundation we sung today. And that foundation is not the programs of Ellington Baptist Church. It's not the leadership of Ellington Baptist Church. Because the day it starts to be that, then it's no longer Jesus' church. It's on Christ, the solid rock, we stand. And finally, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I think this is an interesting addition here that Jesus is putting in here because he wants to put their minds at ease as he asks them, who do you say that I am? And uh, Peter being you know, shown and being revealed you know, from God the Father that he is Christ, the Son of the living God. He says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. See, the church is safeguarded. And no matter how much time may, you know, go forth, there is always the true, pure church that is built on that one foundation whose Savior is Jesus Christ the Lord. Because he is the one building that church. Now, does that mean every church that is out there is on that solid foundation? And the answer to that question is no. There are churches in name only. They believe a different gospel, maybe. They may believe different doctrine because they've you know, taken the word of God and said, hey, I like this, but I don't like this. Or you know, that my God is a loving God and not the hateful God of the Old Testament. You know, whatever man may do to take the Bible and, and you know, use the eraser that they think they're given to remove passages they don't like, you know, there are a lot of false churches out there. And part of my prayers every week is that we remain true to the word of God. That we not deviate to the left or the right. To know that, you know, God is safeguarding us from any and every foe, including Satan himself. Because that is what Satan would love, is to have churches that embrace the culture, that compromise the truth, that don't stand on the truth, don't stand on the firm foundation, which is Christ Jesus, God's son, but instead stand on culture or stand on things that, you know, will let them seem as though they're more palatable to the culture. But the thing is, is that we're not meant to be palatable to the culture. We are meant to glorify God in everything that we do, everything that we say. Every ministry that we do should be always and only about God. Not about us. 
Well, so how should this inform our lives today? Well, Martin Luther penned a powerful song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. I'd like to read the lyrics to you as we close out and we consider the power of God um, as we've seen five different evidences. So think of it in light of this. He says, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he, amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate, on earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man, capital M, on our side, the man of God's own choosing, which is Jesus Christ. Does ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And through, or, and, yeah, and through this world with devils filled. No, it's in though. I can read my own words. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure, and one little word shall fell him. Christ, Son of God. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindreds go, let uh, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Let's bow for a closing word of prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you that your kingdom is forever. That even Satan himself cannot thwart that. Because Satan is a created being. He only exists because you allow him to exist. And so, Father, as we think about you being our mighty fortress, as we think about the world in which we live and we think about all the things that we face on any given day, I ask that your spirit would, through us, through those who have been redeemed, be the wisdom of power of God in our age. That we would know your word so much, that we would live your word so much, that the world around us would say something is starkly different in the lives of those people that go to Ellington Baptist Church. Not because of their programs, not because of their building, not because of their pastors, not because of their leadership, but because of Jesus Christ, their Redeemer. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.